What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me in the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG and MHS Network. I am, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Uh, the Denver Nuggets beat the Miami Heat in Game 4 of the NBA Finals to go up 3-1 in their best-of-seven series. They are coming back to Denver. Game 5 will be played on uh, Monday in the what is undoubtedly the biggest game and most consequential game of, in Denver Nuggets history. Um, there are several things I want to get to. Um, first, I'm going to generously pat myself on the back here. Um, I said after game two that people were overreacting to the perfect fourth quarter that the Heat put on, um, behaving as if there was some sort of thing that they had found or if the Nuggets were doing anything but doing what the Nuggets always do. Um, when you are demonstrably the better team in a series, it's all about what you do. It is. This is has been very true of when the Nuggets have played any number of these Western Conference Finals teams, uh, going through their history. Um, this is is one hundred percent been a. It's about what the better team is doing, and the uh, Denver Nuggets in <clears throat> the fourth quarter of Game Two let slip the rope a little bit and the heat played basically the most perfect quarter you could possibly play in an NBA finals. Um, I would actually venture to say that that quarter was the most well-played quarter by any team in uh, the, the series so far. Um, they, they hit every shot, got exactly what they wanted to do. They, they hit contested shots. They, uh, hit their free throws, uh, and they won by three. And I think this got lost in the, the, the analysis. We get tunnel vision, right? Tunnel vision is really bad and we get tunnel vision and we start, start thinking about like how, like, oh my God, the sky's falling and all this stuff when they were going to Miami type at one. Oh, the what really in 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 really in reality happened is sometimes even a team playing <clears throat> a perfect quarter can indicate to you that that the need for perfection and i'll never forget uh there was a i mean in in the i think it was the first um Bulls Jazz series in '97 in the finals. Um, the the Jazz I think either played game one or game two, just absolutely perfectly, perfectly in absolutely every sense of the word. They 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 just they it was about as good a game as you could play, and they didn't win by much. And that was at least watching it back 26 years ago. You know, my 20 year old brain back then was like, okay, they played a perfect game and they barely won. And that was a bad sign. Same thing with the, uh, with the heat, but they played a perfect quarter and that quarter, um, kind of skewed the, the perception of what the nuggets were doing. Um, the, their, the, the heat's ability to hit shots like that, um, covered up the fact that they needed to ex execute at the at, a, at such a level that was not sustainable you know the the he, what we people have been what people have been glossing over here is that Boston when I mean, they played them in the Eastern Conference Finals that team very 
very clearly was in, on all year a poorly coached team and a mentally flawed team. And um, the Miami Heat are so well coached that they will prey on teams that are not mentally as fit as they are. Because if one thing you could say about the Miami Heat, quote unquote, heat culture, is that is that they are mentally prepared for a grueling series. They are mentally prepared because they, their preparation, their their dedication and their uh, stick-to-itiveness to what they do and the fact that Eric Spolster is probably the best coach in the league, all those things combined. And, and if you are not mentally there, which is a, a significant portion of, of NBA teams when they get into the playoffs, if you're not mentally prepared for it, you will get taken advantage of and you will lose. Um, the difference between those teams and this Denver Nuggets team is this Denver Nuggets team is tough and is mentally prepared to for, for this sort of thing by getting their playoff scars going back to 2019. Um, and the two years without without Jamal Murray really hardened this team. Um, even though there's a significant roster overturn from uh, the previous year, um, Jokic and uh, even Michael Porter, he was there for the Phoenix series in 2021. Uh, Aaron Gordon... All these guys are just like got mentally prepared from disappointment. And that was the way it usually went in the 80s and the 90s with uh, with these NBA teams is that you had to go through the steps. You didn't skip steps, as Tim Connolly would used to say, and I'm going to get to Tim Connolly in just a second. Um, but this is what happened. And the Denver Nuggets, with the combination of because Jokic got into some with some questionable foul calls, got into uh, foul trouble um, in the fourth quarter when they were up by 10 or 11. And um, the uh, Nuggets resolve and their and their toughness showed itself in spades in that stretch that's probably i wouldn't say it was a great stretch of basketball but their ability to withstand what the heat were doing because i think they cut it to five once and then cut it to six another time during that stretch um their ability to withstand that while Jokic was on the bench for a good stretch of time i think it was like five or six minutes that Jokic was on the bench it was six minutes while Jokic was on the bench um of game time it was amazing, and they—they, they, I think the when Jokic came back in, the Nuggets were up by nine. Uh that's pretty incredible. That's pretty incredible. And and, and Jokic wasn't playing his best game. He, he had a bum ankle, um, missed a lot of short shots. Um, and but he was still, you know, he's still Nikola Jokic, and Nikola Jokic on a bad ankle is still better than every other player. Um. One in particular, one guy in particular. Yes, we're going to, you know, Jamal Murray, I'm going to talk about him in context to something else here in a second. But Aaron Gordon stepped up in such a way that it just, it, it proved to the Miami Heat that the Nuggets, just on a base level, were a better team regardless. They had just too much. And Aaron Gordon stepping up the way he did with hitting three three-point shots and hitting most of his free throws and getting down low and just bullying uh, the Heat smaller lineup, um, and just doing everything it took to win this game. Aaron Gordon doing this showed me something that I think we're going to have to address here. There has been some revisionist history when it comes to Tim Connolly because of Calvin Booth signings, uh, which were as I've said before, Calvin Booth gets a ton of credit for Bruce Brown, who, by the way, was another huge part of this game. He gets primary credit for Bruce Brown because he knew that signing DeAndre Jordan, uh, along with Jeff Green, 
would actually help lure Bruce Brown here. Okay. That was 100% why they signed DeAndre Jordan. Uh, don't care what anyone else says. That's why they signed DeAndre Jordan. And it worked out in spades. And Bruce Brown has been next level great in these finals. Um, even when he doesn't have a good shooting game or offensive game, he just adds that thing. Um, the Nuggets are obviously going to lose him in the offseason because they can't afford to pay him what he's going to get. But uh, he has been next level good. And I think that sort of thing is invaluable. And that's Calvin Booth signing. Nikola Jokic, Michael Porter Jr., Jamal Murray, Aaron Gordon, Zeke Naji, um, all these all these guys that have greatly contributed to this Nuggets team for years are all Tim Conley. But I want to give Tim a shout out for the Aaron Gordon trade. I mean, let me set the scene here. Um, in 2014, I was standing, I may have told this story before, but I'll tell it again. I was standing in the uh, workouts uh, in a gym, and this wasn't... This wasn't uh, a workout. I think this was the Zach Levine workout, if I'm if my memory serves, because it was Nate Timmons and I were there. Jordan White, who is gone, who's hasn't lived in Colorado for almost ten years, is was there, um, and uh, uh, I think maybe Chris Dempsey. But there wasn't that many people there. But I I remember talking to Tim and I think maybe Tommy Bal Balsettis there, who was I think the analytics guy was his title then and uh, we were talking and the conversation drifted to Aaron Gordon and both Tom Tommy but specifically Tim Connolly was like man he is a great defensive player and a glue guy and he said that over and over and over again Aaron Gordon and this is 2014 folks so this is the year Gordon was drafted um coming out of Arizona he was really complimentary of how Gordon was just a a guy that would be great to have on your team because he's great defensively and he just seems to mesh. And he said they can work on the offensive issues because Gordon wasn't exactly a powerhouse offensively in Arizona. And it was enlightening because the Nuggets weren't going to be able to draft him. This was a draft where they had, I think, the 11th pick, and uh, they took Doug McDermott, and they traded back for Nurkic, and obviously this was the Jokic draft. Uh, Nurkic and Gary Harris came in that first round there. So the Nuggets, I think Gordon went fourth. So the Nuggets weren't going to be able to get him. But it was it was enlightening to hear someone talk so glowingly about a guy player that they weren't ever going to have the opportunity to draft unless they traded up. Um, this is the second year of Brian Shaw, because in the first year they didn't. I don't think believe they worked out anyone because they didn't have any management structure there. <laughs> it was it was it was that's how late in the process they got a coach and and GM. Uh, in 2013, which is another story that I will tell one of these days. But this this whole whole thing goes back to Tim Connolly identifying what Aaron Gordon was. And I kind of in the back of my mind knew if there was an opportunity, the Denver Nuggets would trade for Aaron Gordon. I knew it was always going to come. And Tim Connolly was just so impressed by him. And I, I just was like, if I said to, I probably said to Timmons and Feinstein, I was like, if he has a chance, he's going to either try to move up to draft him or uh, eventually trade for him. And it took longer than, obviously, it took seven, seven years, seven, eight years for it to go down. 
But the Aaron Gordon trade for the Denver Nuggets is the defining trade for the Denver Nuggets. Uh, and I firmly believe that when they traded for Jeremy Grant the year before in 2020 or 20, yeah, 2019, um, when they traded for him, then that was the kind of their poor man's, uh, Aaron Gordon. I think that they were thinking that he has the same skill set um, as Gordon did, but, uh, little did they know that how much, uh, Jeremy Grant really wanted to be an offensive player. Um, Gordon's fit in Denver is a tribute to Tim Connolly. Tim Connolly knew exactly what, what, uh, Aaron Gordon would bring. And when you see the eight games, eight, nine games that were played, uh, before Jamal's injury, you see that vision. And it's unfortunate that Jamal's injury happened because it, 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 derailed a lot of what Connolly was trying to do. Um, and you've seen with Gordon, Murray, Porter, uh, Jokic, and these guys, the, the core four in the lineup, you see Connolly's vision. And I think we need to bat down this revisionist history that Kim Connolly had nothing to do with this Nuggets team. Uh, this is, is just Tim, as much as Tim Connolly's team as it is uh, Calvin Booth's and Tommy Balsettis and even Josh Kroenke, who, well... Anyway, um, there is just that. And I think the coup de grace of the Connolly regime was the Aaron Gordon trade. That may be, other than Jokic, uh, drafting Jokic, and that may be the crowning achievement. That was, it was a, getting him for a very oft injured uh, Gary Harris um, and uh, 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 RJ, RJ Hampton and Pick. It's looking like a steal at this point because Aaron Gordon's contributions to this team are invaluable and pay off far, far more than what they gave up and what they signed him for. I firmly believe that. Hat tip to to Tim, Tim Connolly, man. That was a stroke of genius, and you need all your flowers for that. Um, before I get to the break, I want to talk to you about Bruce Brown. Uh, Bruce Brown was... Um, he provided something that I think this Nuggets team needed, and it's kind of a something that you don't think about a team needing. Um, there is a braggadociousness, if that's a word, uh, about Bruce Brown that this team otherwise just doesn't, they kind of take their lead from Jokic. And this team doesn't really have that. And every team needs a guy that is, one, A, going to annoy the other team, and B, be that kind of guy that pumps up your team when you are down. And Bruce Brown, on top of his obvious qualities as being a good defender and sometimes offensive uh, spark plug like he was last night, um, his ability to do that uh, has been absolutely invaluable to this team. He's that, he's that, um, it's not an X factor, but it's like the salt that you put in something or like that extra spice. And, um, the Bruce Brown represents the extra spice that the Nuggets really have never had, um, with this version of the team. Um, I've often said on this podcast how the Nuggets have needed an asshole. They needed, every team needs an asshole on it. Miami Heat have several of those guys. Uh, you need a guy who's just going to get under the other team's skin. And uh, Bruce Brown not only exploded offensively last night, but you could tell he was irritating the crap out of the Heat. And that little combination there is 
great. It's absolutely great. And what that does is just, it gives that little, like I said, it adds that, that it's, it's not the X factor. It's the, it's the, the spice and, and Bruce Brown adding that spice is 100% uh, something that I, 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 it, 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 it's intangible. And I know that's an overused ex, um, expression, but it's intangible because you can't quantify that sort of thing. And the Nuggets are going to be ending up losing him this offseason because there's no way they're going to be able to afford signing him. And they're going to have to f- replicate the spice there because that sort of thing is just is hard to replace. It really is. All right, on the other side of the podcast, uh, I'm going to be talking to you about how this MVP thing, or I'm going to talk to you about Michael Malone and uh, Jamal Murray. And then at the very end, I'm going to talk about how we need to reframe the MVP thing from this year and uh, think about it in a different context than we are right now. Uh, but I'll, but at first I'm going to talk to you about Blanchard family wines located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazzie in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They're always online at bfwcolorado.com. Reds, whites, Rieslings, Pinots, Merlots, Malbecs, uh, you know, whites. They've got they they've got everything you need, and they got a location in Fort Collins, and they got a location in Denver, and one in Sonoma County, California. But really, this is a local Colorado business that really supports what Colorado does, as well as having their own wine from Sonoma County. Um, they have great selection of stuff from the Western Slope if you if you want to try out what Colorado has to offer. Um, but they got their own stuff. Uh, I highly suggest the Cabernet. Um, I think believe uh, the year for this one is the 2018. I don't know if it's available in store you can probably get a bottle of it i don't think they have it on tap um but they've got a great merlot a great malbec uh and they've got a whole bunch of uh, really great rich uh reds if you want to drink but they also got the rieslings from western slope colorado and a great selection of whites that they make uh, uh, in sonoma county everything is really really good it's a great vibe down there i highly suggest you go before you have a dinner down there or if you just are going down to see a rockies game once again, they're located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They're always online at bfwcolorado.com. They're on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. When you go in or you talk to them, tell them Jeff Borden from CSG Podcast sent you. I, I Here is where I'm going to compliment Michael Malone. I believe... I believe um, there is one underestimated thing that uh, I personally have had with Michael Malone. Very, very underrated thing. Um, I and I, I don't think it applies to the entire team, but I think it, it the the benefit of him actually applies to one player. Um, un, 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 indisputably, Michael Malone is a hothead. Uh, Michael Malone's uh, flaws and foibles are very much out in the open. I have gone over them many times. I'm not going to do it again right now. Um, But there is one thing where I think, and it really dawned on me last night, how Malone's behavior sometimes is, is, uh, it, 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 it affects positively in one very particular player, and that's Jamal Murray. You can kind of tell that Jamal needs that kind of coach. And if there's anything, anything I can tell you, I mean, a, a, a reason number two 
that the Nuggets are uh, on because of the of the litany of reasons that the Nuggets are in the position they are right now on the doorstep of a of their first championship. Um, one of the things that that I think we're, I would say number two is that Malone's relationships very specifically with Jamal Murray. Um, it's very clear that Jamal responds very positively to very specifically Michael Malone in the way he coaches. Um, it is very, very clear that this is what Jamal needs. And this relationship is like right behind Jokic as the reason the Nuggets are, are where they are. Jamal needs an asshole and, and, and Malone provides enough hot headed asshole for him. And I'm not saying that in a derogatory way. It is very clear that that is exactly what Jamal Murray wants and craves. And what it has done is turn Jamal Murray into a 16 game player, despite all the injuries, despite the up and down regular seasons. You notice that Jamal follows the very much follows the emotions of Michael Malone. And when Malone runs hot, that's when, that's when, um, Jamal Murray runs hot. There is a, almost a symbiotic relationship between those two and the way that they kind of go into games and how they prepare for games and all this stuff. And I think that maybe I underestimated how much Jamal needed that element. Uh, I personally, once again, I'm not a fan of it. I don't, I don't, I don't like hotheads. Uh, I think hotheads uh, will eventually burn out. But what it has, what I was not counting on was how much Jamal very specifically needed that type of thing. And maybe that comes from the way his dad taught him basketball. Maybe it's how he has come up through the ranks through AAU or any of these other things that he, that he's needed, but there's something intrinsic that Jamal needs that Malone provides. And that is hard to replicate. That is hard to discount. Um, Malone, the way, and, and I think Malone is aware of it. I think he is aware of it. I do think he blurts shit out of his mouth because he's emotional. But he also, I think on, on a very intrinsic level, because of his relationship with Jamal, knows what Jamal needs. And I don't necessarily know if another coach could get this out of, of Jamal. Jamal is really thrives. As I said before, he, every fiber of Jamal's being goes to working. He works extremely hard and it seems like when you piss him off and ride him, like the, 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 uh, the, the heat have been doing in this series, it kind of motivates him even more. I mean, Jamal didn't have a tremendous game, but he did have a, that wonderful stretch. Um, between Jokic's fifth foul and when Jokic came back in to that stabilized this Nuggets team to where the, the Heat couldn't take advantage of Jokic being out. And once again, it's that symbiotic relationship between Malone and Murray that I think we, I personally, I know, discounted um, because of Malone's overall approach. And I think if we're going to compliment Michael Malone, it is identifying or knowing that Jamal needs this type of guy. Jamal needs this type of coach. 
And I, like I said before, I don't think necessarily another coach gets this particular thing out of Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray turning into, I mean, I, I here's a, here's the thing. I think Jamal, just due to the way he plays, will probably never be an All Star, but he will always be a nails playoff player. And I think that to me is greater than being one of those regular season All Star guys. Um, I think that per, that is uh, much more of an achievement, and I think that it really helps Jamal to have a guy who runs as hard as Malone does as a coach, and I think Malone's aware of it too, and compliments to Michael Malone for being aware of it and, and for being that guy and who has that perfect relationship with Jamal in order to be able to push Jamal to where he needs to be as this 16-game player. And um, compliments, like I said, compliments to uh, them both. Uh, 16, not 16 game player, 16 win player. Um, and it's um, uh, it's invaluable, absolutely invaluable. Okay, wrapping up this thing, I've seen a lot of tweets about the MVP stuff. Uh, I'm personally ready to move on. Um, I understand people really want to relitigate this. Um, my own personal feeling is... My own personal feeling is that what has happened is we've obfuscated what the true issue is with the MVP stuff. <clears throat> Let's forget about the media. It's very clear, and they won't admit it, but there was a pressure campaign of immense proportions put on ESPN and other media outlets to... Maybe not, uh, it was the whole, from what's, it it, it started out as as fatigue and it moved into something different. The real story of the MVP thing this season is the pressure that was put on media outlets, the very clear pressure that was put on media outlets. This was too, it was too coordinated for it not to be at least part of things people were hearing. And I really do believe that that is the real story of the MVP thing. All right. I don't give a shit if Jokic didn't win the MVP. I know people are very invested in winning his third straight. Um, I'm in, in, as invested in it as my, as Jokic. Okay. He, it's, he's going to win. If the Nuggets complete this journey, he is going to win finals MVP. Um, he, they are going to win a championship. I, I don't think in the grand scheme of things, it matters. Um, it matters very much to people, uh, fans of Nikola Jokic, but in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't amount to a hill of beans. Joel Embiid has a, uh, and by the way, he did deserve a MVP. Okay. Um, obviously the, what's transpired in the playoffs hasn't reflected well in that vote, but it is a regular season award and we're going to leave it at that. I am sick and fucking tired of re-litigating this goddamn award over and over and over again. The real story is the pressure and the utter folding that happened in the media. Look, Jokic was tired of it. The Nuggets sat, basically didn't try for the last month of the season. That's why Jokic wasn't even in the conversation with for the for the MVP by the end of the year, okay? The, the Nuggets did it to themselves. So let's just remove that for a second. But the stuff that happened before that was disgusting. It was awful. Um, I've never seen anything like that before, to be honest with you. 
Uh, and it was coming from somewhere. And I think the real story of this, that entire MVP debacle was what was happening behind the scenes because there had to have been a ton, a lot of, there was a lot of, a lot of news outlets or people within news outlets who probably, who did a too abrupt a about face. There was, there was uh, probably pressure being applied that hasn't been applied before. And I said this before, folks. The NBA made a mistake tying um, these contract incentives and to all MV, all all NBA stuff and MVP awards and these uh, these various awards, which are voted on by media. That has left the media susceptible to pressure by agents and you know. Uh, uh, various executives right it was stupid and they never the nba should have never done that it was it was i i know that was the whole derrick rose thing and why that but it just left them open to the crap that happened in this one joel Embiid could have won that award without any of that bullshit going on and then that is what affected me and that's what that's what offended me during the whole thing it wasn't it wasn't that the, the Jokic didn't win because I, I, like I said, I cared about as much as Jokic did, not at all. But it was the way it happened and how it happened. And you could talk about disrespect and all this stuff that goes into it, but we, but the Nuggets are on the doorstep of doing something that their franchise has never done. And I think focusing on the MVP thing is taking too much energy. The vibes need to be great. Um, the vibe. The, the everything I, I think I, that's just the way I look at it. The real story, and I would like to know this from people who have voted on it, who voted on the award, who were subject to all this stuff. The the, the Bon Temp straw poll is probably I'm I'm not not a big fan of it because I think that second straw poll is what started this whole thing and various elements within the league got personally offended by it. Um, and that began the trash that we saw. I would like to know that story, that story, but the actual result of the ward, who the hell cares? Honestly, who cares? Jokic doesn't. So I don't, right? I'm sure this at finals MVP or the winning this, then winning the, the, the finals will probably mean a hell of a lot more to him. And it will mean a hell of a lot more to me, to be quite honest with you. The rest of this is is a distraction, and we don't need to keep relitigating it, but you guys do you, okay? Uh, I know there's going to be some people who are listening to this thinking, don't tell me what to do. Okay, whatever. It's fine. Do what you want. But from my perspective, there is a story there that has nothing to do with whether Jokic won or not. And it is the disgusting crap that happened that month leading up to March when the Nuggets were winning these games, they won. Then they got up eight games in the Western conference and were like, we're going to make sure we're healthy. So they lost a bunch of games. And that really is what the Nuggets cost Jokic the ward, quote unquote. I, I mean, it didn't cost Jokic the ward, but it did contribute to the final margin. Let's put it to you that way. Um, but I want to know what happened and I want to know, I want to know who was saying what behind the scenes, because that is a better story and a bigger story than the fact that Jokic didn't win it and Embiid won 
I mean, that, that to me, that is. All right, folks, uh, thank you all for joining me in the latest Morecast. The uh, Nuggets are one win away from an NBA Finals victory for the first time in their franchise. Uh, excited. They'll be playing at Mall Arena in, on Monday night. So uh, hope everyone is excited for that uh, and getting ready. So anyway, thank you all for joining me in the latest Morecast. I'll be back after that game with another episode. Goodbye.